0: In this series of Together, there's an underlying challenge. The underlying challenge is to discover unity together. Because it's all well and good to sit back and say, I am discovering unity all by myself. Because if you notice over time that you even disagree with yourself sometimes, and so we had to, you know, with the local church, we had to discover it with unity and with other people. God brings unity in the church. It's not through our personality. It's not who you wanted to win the rugby match yesterday. It's not the football team that you, you follow. It's not your heritage or the food you like or the color of your skin. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings us together in unity. And through that, we have incredible freedom in God's grace. There was a foundation of this entire book of the book of Galatians, and ultimately is to take the focus and how can we please God. 162 years ago, there was a man named Charles Spurgeon who said this: it will be a sad day for the church and the world when there is no distinction between the children of God and those of this world. He said that 162 years ago in a sermon in London, and how true and relevant that is even today. 2,000 years ago, in an area called Galatia in modern-day Turkey, there was a real church, in fact, there was a group of churches in this region of Galatia. In this region, there was a number of churches that had been started by the Apostle Paul, and he loved these people. And these people loved him in return. And they were very quick to turn from their old ways and begin following the things of God, and they embraced their salvation. And then, as time went on, not very long after he left them, some other teachers from Israel and came in and they said, oh, you're following Jesus. That's wonderful. But let me fill the rest of the story in for you. You have to follow Jesus and also the follow the law of God. So you have to be a Jesus follower and a law of God follower. You have to basically become a Jew. And these people were listening and going, well, that doesn't quite line up with what Paul taught us. That doesn't quite line up with what we were taught. But they, be, they began to be influenced, they begin to go backward in their faith and begin to follow the law. And of course, through that, it caused incredible division within the church. And the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1, verse number 6, and you can imagine receiving this letter and you've received a letter from a person that you love, and you you roll up the scroll, and you gather everyone together, and the first five verses are, you know, I'm writing this letter to you, grace of God be upon you, and he's writing nice things to them, and then he comes to verse number six, and he goes, I am astonished. That you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, Galatians chapter one verse six says. He says, "I am astonished. You see, these people will begin to follow a false gospel. It sounded good on the outside and it sounded really spiritual. They were going to become extra good citizens they were going to follow jesus christ they were going to follow the law and as a result of that on the outside they probably looked really impressive and very very pious and spiritual but paul says i'm astonished How long has it taken you to start following a different gospel than the one we found in Jesus Christ? The one that brought us together with all our diversity and the unity and the result of this is causing division. Can we see that in our own lives? How when we choose to follow a different gospel, even though it may be a good thing, causes division in our families, causes division in our communities because we lose focus upon what is the truth. In the beginning of this year, I called 2022 on January 2nd, 2022. I made this statement right here. This is going to be the year of distractions. We have a choice now that we're coming into freedom again to Move forward for the things of God or we have the choice of being distracted to other things. And verse number seven says, not that there is another one talking about another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. You see, Satan has no desire to help you grow in your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. He doesn't care what distracts you from the gospel. Even something as good as following the law and living morally and living ethically and following a set of rules. Satan doesn't care if your distraction is COVID or your, your distraction is your family or work or something negative like your distraction is pornography or your distraction is drugs or alcohol. Satan just wants you to be distracted. And what we find here is Paul is writing them and saying, I'm astonished that you've so soon turned to a different gospel. A different gospel. So as he writes there, we see our principle for today is this. A gospel-focused church will listen to godly counsel. Could you imagine getting this letter and you're excited about this letter and you're reading it along and you're thinking to yourself, Uh Uh-oh, he's going to tell us some hard truths here. What are you going to do? Because to be honest with you, none of us like receiving the hard truth. None of us like receiving counsel when it says you are wrong. Now I'm going to talk very generally today because there's a variety of people here today. If you will give God permission to speak to you today, He will prompt you in areas that you need godly counsel. And as the word of God will speak to one person in a different way than it will speak to someone else, and you think to yourself, we heard the same message, but God was calling me to stop doing this, and God was calling me to start doing this, and you heard the same message, because that's the power of the gospel and the power of godly counsel. What we find here is there's two statements in Galatians chapter number four. Galatians four, verse 11 and also verse 20 says, I am afraid that I've labored over you in vain. And then he says in verse number 20, he says, I'm perplexed about you. And he's making some very strong appeals. And this morning in your notes, there's three appeals that we find. And these are appeals that are passionate appeals given by the Apostle Paul to this church. And then the three appeals are to their heritage, he appeals to their heart, and appeals to their history. If you look at the book of Galatians, the first three chapters are kind of laying out the problem. This chapter number four is really a transition chapter, because chapters five and six, which we'll look at in the coming weeks, these chapters are the now what? This is where we, we, find, we find some application in the following two. So this is the transition time, and he's reiterating his appeal. Now, I have no doubt that if you can imagine the Apostle Paul or anyone that is passionate about the message that they're sharing, that they're not going and being, yeah, take it or leave it, whatever you want to do. It doesn't bother me. You can imagine the passion as he's writing this. If you could imagine someone who genuinely cares for them and says, this is not take it or leave it. This is life or death. This is follow God or follow Satan. So let's go through and we're going to walk through this morning. There's three appeals. And as we walk through these three appeals, we're going to be referring back to some things in a bit of review that we looked at in the previous messages. And I'm, I'm going to try really hard not to re-preach the previous messages because they're really good. And the Bible just, there's so many great truths here. So I'm going to focus on what these three appeals are. And as we go through these three appeals, my challenge to you is to fill out the notes in your bulletin. And as you, as you think through these, think about your own story. Think about what God has done in your heritage, what he's done in your heart, what he has done in history and can do in and through you in the future. Let's begin that first appeal. The first appeal, and there's a passionate appeal, is that he appealed to their heritage. Galatians chapter number four, verse seven says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and a son, then an heir through God. We have studied in in past weeks, in fact, it was back in April, the previous school holidays, we talked about being a child of God, and we talked about adoption. And we talked about the wonderful privilege of, of being adopted into the family of God. And we were given a new heritage, and it's the new versus the old. There's a lot of things back of the old days, you know, back in the 70s and 80s, You know, back in the old days. I can say 70s were old days because pre-Michael. And there's some things about those old days you think, actually, those were much simpler times. I kind of miss those old days. And maybe some of you are missing the fashion of the old days and you're wearing your fashion long enough. You think eventually it will come back in style if I just wear it long enough. And you look back upon technology. And you think about how communication technology has changed over the many, many years where you used to have to walk, a, a, a physically walk a, a scroll or walk a message. To, and then, you, then they, they came up with this incredible invention of a pigeon. And you would tie the little note to the pigeon and send the pigeon off. Through the course of time, they came up with a thing called the telegraph and Morse code. And somehow they can decipher beep, 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 and work that out to a message. And you imagine receiving that and seeing a telegraph and thinking this came across the country or across the world. That is absolutely amazing. And you look at that technology and you think that is incredible. How could we ever possibly top a telegraph? And as time goes on, they have the telephone and, of course, the old wind telephone and they wind in the hello operator and they would talk to the operator. And then through the course of different plugs and all back across back operators across the world, you can talk around the world. And that is absolutely incredible. As time went on, the phones began to change, and you had the little rotary, and the, and the, the operators were no longer needed, and, and then you took the, the touch dial, and then the computer technology began to advance, where the emails began to be sent, which I was amazed. I didn't realize the emails actually started in like in 1972 or something like that. You know, back in the old, good old days. The first emails were sent, and you think, this is absolutely Incredible. And I remember as a, ch- as a as a young child, we got our computer that had its first modem, and you plug it in, and you hear that sound, and a bit of nostalgia comes back there, doesn't it? And you think, wow, this is a 14.4 modem. We, oh, it's so fast. I remember one time, and this is true, we g- we upgraded. From the nine, like the 9.6 modem to the 14.4. My dad was like, it's so much faster. For kids, that's really, really slow, okay? And you look at that technology and you realize in your hand you have a mobile phone and you can carry around so much data and so, and so much bandwidth speed. And if, if your email takes more than three seconds to load, you think, what is wrong with this thing? We look back upon the old days with a bit of nostalgia. And think, oh, those were good, exciting days. But in reality, do any of you really want to go back to the carrier pigeon days? It's helpful to know that when my wife, who's flying out this evening to go to the U.S. for a month, I'm going to be able to talk with her easily and ask her, where is the sugar? (laughs) And, And see, one of the things is I have to make sure that I mess a lot of things up this month so that my wife knows how loved she is because if i just do everything really really well and she she, i mean the kids won't miss her so i'll make sure they miss her we look back upon the old days with a bit of nostalgia with our heritage well let's turn that around with our old heritage versus our new heritage with our old heritage we were under the law and what we see there is in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 and 23, it says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. And it goes on in verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were dot, dot, dot. Who were you before Jesus Christ in the old heritage? What we find in the, in the Bible, it teaches us that we was like the old heritage was like a prison. Now, the man who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, he was a man who was well versed with prison. He had been in prison many times. He had suffered beatings because of his faith. And he also understood, as it says in verse 23, Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. The Apostle Paul understood the emptiness and the feeling of I am all alone as that prison door closed with a clunk. He understood the feeling of being a captive, of not being able to get out and do what he wants to do. You imagine that first night in a prison cell. How terrifying that would be. You see on movies, depicted on movies and documentaries, how grown men who are st- seemingly strong on the outside weep their first night of prison because of they realize where they're at. They realize that they are no longer free. You see, in our own lives, we can be held captive and find ourselves in a, a prison of our old heritage. You can have the prison of, of, of relationships. A prison of of health, a prison of addiction, a prison of your mind, a prison of pornography, of anger, of unforgiveness. You have a prison of regret, a prison of your negative past. You start listing through in your own life the things that we've done in our past that we're not proud of. We don't want to go back to those old days. Why would we ever want to go back to the old days of being a captive? And that's what the Apostle Paul is writing here. He's saying he's making an appeal to them. Don't go back to the old ways. They're like being a prisoner. Why would you ever want to go back? And he moves on from there, and he says it was like a disciplinarian. This is again in chapter number three. So then the law was our guardian. That word guardian is like a disciplinarian. But it's actually a word that specifically talks about like a schoolmaster. And it wasn't just a a regular old schoolmaster who who was the friendly kindy teacher who was happy to see everyone that wants to do finger painting and wants all the kids to be happy. This was the stereotypical, grumpy, mean, principal stereotype. A number of years ago, a, a man named John Stott, who's a theologian, wrote this, talking about that word guardian. He says, often harsh to the point of cruelty and usually depicted in ancient drawings with a rod or cane in hand. So here we see the old heritage was like a prison. We also see it like a disciplinarian. It was something there to whack you every time you did something wrong. Paul understood about living a holy and a strict life. He himself grew up following after the laws of the pharisees and the pharisees looked at the law of god and they scratched their heads and thinking well how are we supposed to live this and they begin to add extra laws so that would not in any way break the god's laws and be going extra and extra and extra and extra laws to the point where the the law of god which was supposed to be wonderful and beautiful became something that was like a disciplinarian in their life showing that everything that they could do was doing wrong Galatians chapter 3, verse 25, it says, But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. You see, we now have a new heritage. The old heritage is like a prison, like a grumpy, mean schoolmaster ready to show you all your faults. But now it says we have faith. We have a new heritage. Our new heritage, first of all, is we see we have a new family. We are called children of God, and we have a new family. Galatians chapter number four. To redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, adoption is not something that is easy. It is not something that is cheap. It's not a... Today, I think we're going to adopt a child. So let's go down to the adoption store and just pick out a child. It's a major commitment. And today, in our our society today, adopting a child is a very, very expensive and long and drawn-out endeavor. In fact, I, I very much wish that they would make adoption easier families and less expensive because I believe far more people would adopt if they opened up that opportunity and didn't make it so difficult. But what we see here is that the adoption is something that is time-consuming. It is expensive. It is emotional. But you realize the day that the adoption papers are signed, the day that that child is brought into your family, the, the day they receive your name as their surname, That's not the end of the work. Reality is, that's actually just the beginning. The adoption process was the easy part. Now we get to, or have to, raise the child, and that's where the real work starts. And that's what we find here. We have a new family. We've been adopted into the family of God. And God says, I've done the hard work to bring you into my family. And I'm able and willing to continue to do the hard work to keep you in my family and to grow you and develop you. Why would you ever want to go back to the prison of your past? Why would you ever want to go back to the disciplinarian of your past? He says, you have a new family. He says, goes on and says, you have a new identity in Christ. Our new identity in Christ, we see in Galatians 3, verse 28, it says, There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you are all one. We're unified together in Christ Jesus. That's backed up with going back to Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent His spirit of his son into our hearts. And now as a result of that, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, we can cry, Abba, Father. Or we have an endearing and close, intimate relationship with God. With that, we also have a new future. We have a new future in Christ. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave. But a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. There's far more to life than just the here and now. In our life, we have something to look forward to that's going to last for all eternity. The Bible teaches us that when we close our eyes in death as a believer in Jesus Christ, we don't close our eyes in death to nothingness. We don't close our eyes in death to torment. As a believer in Jesus Christ, we find in Scripture that it teaches that we close our eyes in death and we open them in the very presence and freedom we find in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We will be in the very presence of God, not just for today, but for all eternity. And as we think about the future, it makes things here on earth seem far less important. If your team... That you follow is having a very poor season. It doesn't take them very long to begin to talk about next season. This season is kind of a write off, and I'm an Eagles fan, so I understand. I'm allowed to say this. And you start thinking, ah, oh, we're in the rebuilding stage because next season's coming. And so often we think to ourselves, now as Eagles fans, it's tough. And I can only imagine being a Dockers fan because disappointment's coming for you. Think about in the future. oh, we have something far better to look forward to. Can't wait until next season. In a similar way, here we have a new future. We have something great to look forward to. This year, this season of life is hard, but look forward to the future because we are. It's called we are an heir through God. You start listing off and you start studying out heaven, studying out the promises of God. It's exciting, and this appeal that's given by the Apostle Paul is in direct contrast to what satan wants and jesus addresses that in in john chapter 10 verse 10 when jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy but i came that they may have life and have it abundantly we have a tremendous promise and this appeal given by the Apostle Paul is a passionate appeal because he says, God has something for you that's not your old heritage. He has your new heritage. Why would you ever want to go back? And he builds on that. The second point is, he appeals to their heart. And this appeal to their heart is because they genuinely cared for the Apostle Paul. And when Paul writes tough things like, I'm afraid that I've labored over you in vain... He's making some strong statements when he says, I am perplexed about you. He's appealing to their emotions and to their heart. He's saying, you care for me and also I care for you. We see that. I'm just going to go through this really briefly. When you appeal to someone's heart, you have to consider the source. What is their motivation? A number of years ago, when I was a teenager, I worked for Bunnings, and I was working in a particular aisle one day next to another employee, and we were stacking some shelves, and along comes a union rep. And if you found with a salesman or someone that wants you to do something, all of your jokes are hilarious. Everything you say to the used car salesman goes, that's true. That's exactly right. And they laugh at all your jokes. And as we had this conversation with this gentleman who came down and he handed both me and my work colleague a pen each. And he started talking to us about work and about various things. And he was trying to promote the union with us. Now, I'm not pro or anti-union, but this is just my story. As the conversation went on, he, s- he assumed that I was already part of the union. And I said, no, I wasn't. And he looked at me. And as soon as he found out that I wasn't part of his union, he looked at me and his face went. was no, my jokes weren't funny anymore. He literally took the pen out of my hand and he turned and walked away. And I thought to myself, huh, wasn't that good of a pen anyway. A salesman? and your jokes are funny, and you have to consider the source. So when someone's trying to capture your heart, you must consider the source. And the Apostle Paul says, you really care for me. He goes on in verses chapter 4, verses 13 through 15. This is just Paul being vulnerable and talking about their care. He says, you know it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. He was saying there is when I came to you, I was sick and there was something physical wrong with him. And a number of different passages and some Bible commentators surmise the Apostle Paul had an issue with his eyes that was actually quite ugly to look at. And it wasn't in any way an attractive disease that he had in his eyes. And it caused him to no longer be able to see correctly because even in this own, this own book, this was a book that he didn't physically write. He spoke the words and someone else wrote them down. In chapter number 6, we find that one little verse, he says, I'm writing this with my own hand. And he's saying that he had some physical ailment. And history tells us that the Apostle Paul wasn't all that attractive of a man. And this is not Bible, but this was written in the, the Harvard Theological Review. It makes me sound very smart if I quote the Harvard theological review. They quoted a, a study and, and, some, and some research that was done from some second century writings of a man named Assephorus. And he apparently was given instruction by Timothy when Timothy was giving him instruction when he was coming to a city called Iconium. And he says, how are you going to recognize Paul? So he says, let me give you a description of what Paul looks like. Now, granted, this isn't Bible, but this was written in the second century. It says this, a description of how attractive Paul was. A man of small stature with bald head and crooked legs. A good state of body with eyebrows meeting and a nose somewhat hooked. He's a classic handsome man. And if you're a balding short man here today, you are a classic Paul. In other words, it's not the, the, the natural thing. Oh, this man is just an incredible specimen. I mean, we can all relate. So he's saying there, you love me even though I was sick, even though I was unsightly, you still cared for me. And he called it blessedness. But he goes on, he says, I also cared for, for you. He says, I, I mean, This is a passionate appeal, I'm appealing to your heart. This isn't a used car salesman trying to sell you something. I'm coming back because I love you. And he says, He cared for them in verses 16 through 19. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? The truth is often hard to hear. goes on verse number 19. And he uses some really strong language and a very descriptive language. He says, my little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. Now, I don't believe that, that Paul ever gave physical birth. But what he's saying here is, he says, just like a mother who is giving birth, it's painful and it hurts, but they do it because they love the child. He's saying here, I'm telling you the truth, and it's hurting me more than it's hurting you because I love you. And he goes on, until Christ is is formed in you. You see, when Paul goes back and he makes the statements like in verse 11 and also in verse 20, I'm afraid that I've labored over you in vain i am perplexed about you he's saying this is a passionate plea there's far too much at stake and as we go through this this passage and we start thinking about our own lives what heritage has god given to you how different are you as a result of what jesus christ has done in your life you have hope not just for now but for eternity in heaven and the message that is given to you is not so we can go, hmm, how can we as a church use you and manipulate you? How can we get more money or more service out of you? That's not what we find at all. In fact, that's the opposite of our heart as a local church. We want to see how we can connect and grow and serve to help you become who God created you to be. And if you've been part of our church for very long, you hear that statement all the time because it's true. And as we go there, we need to look at a bit of history. What's happened in the past that we can learn from as we move forward in the future? And that's what we find in our third appeal. He appealed to the heritage. He appealed to the heart. He's also appealing to history. Now he's going back, the Apostle Paul is going back to a well-known account we find in the Bible from the book of Genesis, chapter number 12, which recounts about Abraham and Sarah and their calling. And it goes through the book of, of Genesis, how they tried to do things in their own strength. And the underlying thought behind this history is this. If their forefather, Abraham... Try to do things in his own strength and his own power and his own ability. And God rejected it and it didn't work. History would tell us if we try to go and do things in our own strength and our own power and our own ability. Why would we be any different than Abraham? God will reject it and actually it's going to cause a great deal of conflict. It says in verse number 22 of Galatians 4. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. God was working and had worked incredibly through the life of Abraham. We see in Genesis chapter number 12, God called Abraham. He says in Genesis 12 verse 2, God, this is God's promise. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God made an incredible a promise to, to Abraham. Abraham was living life. He was not a young man. He was an older gentleman, far beyond the years of naturally he and his wife having children. And God calls him and says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And he only spoke to Abraham at that time. Can you imagine the faith of Abraham having to come back and to tell his wife and to say, I spoke with God today. Abraham had incredible faith. I believe his wife Sarah also had incredible faith in that she didn't say, well, God didn't tell me that. She had faith to say, I believe that God was working through my husband, and I'm going to, it's a beautiful picture of faith and submission working together, and together they left their homeland, left their heritage and their family, and went to a land that they did not know, a land that said that God would show them, because God says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a great nation, and through you the entire world is going to be blessed. As elderly people, they were thinking of themselves in a natural way, and they were thinking to themselves, time is ticking. God, I expected you to already start your plan and begin working in your life. Now, the Bible records things because they're true. It doesn't necessarily record everything that we should emulate. And certainly we find that in the life of Abraham and Sarah, where they got impatient so Sarah came up with the idea, why don't you take my handmaiden, my servant, and why don't you take her and bring her into your family and, in a sense, legally marry her, and that way you have two wives and you have a child through her, and they did it. A, a, a boy named Ishmael. That was the, as it says there, by a slave woman and one by a free. But that wasn't God's plan. They, they tried to do things in their own strength, in their own ability, in their own uh, you know, this was a smart idea. And history-wise or, or society-wise, that was a normal thing to do if you were unable to have children. But God says that's not the right way. They had a calling and they had a promise. They had incredible faith, but they tried to do things in their own strength. In verse 22, again, it says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. And it caused a great deal of conflict. Go to the next verse, verse 23. But the son of the slave... Was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Let me give you a little bit of background there. You had Ishmael, who grew up, and it started conflict within the home. God also blessed Abraham and Sarah in the way that he promised and gave them a child through, uh, through the two of them, which was absolutely miraculous given their age and it was absolutely a miracle of God. And through that caused a great deal of conflict that even in the nation of Israel today, there is conflict in that nation. We can go back to the family history of Ishmael versus Isaac. All of that came about and we see here the underlying principle is if God was going to work. He's going to work in his own strength, in his own way, in a wonderful way. He doesn't need us to come up with our own ideas. And that's what we often find in our own lives. We have a choice of how we're going to respond, and you have a choice of how you're going to respond also. In the coming weeks, through the school holidays, through this this term and also between Terms 3 and 4, we're going to finish off the last two chapters, the application part of this. But if we don't get this underlying foundation right, then I think we're just going to be trying to apply things without actually having to give up. So let's seek our own lives. Look at those three points again. There's a passionate appeal for the heritage, for their heart, and for history. A man a number of years ago named J. Harold Smith said this, more people would learn from their mistakes if they weren't so busy denying them. I want you to mull that over for just a moment. In a few moments time, we're going to close in prayer. Then we're going to sing a song. We'll have announcements. Then we'll be out for a time of fellowship. And it's nice and warm outside right now. Let me just encourage you just for a moment. Begin thinking in your hearts. God, what heritage have you given me? I don't want to go back to the old ways. Consider that the source, someone that genuinely loves you and cares for you, is the Word of God the Bible speaking in and through you, and nothing, no one loves and cares for you more than that. Look at history. How many times have you tried to do things in your own strength and your own power only to come up empty? Let's follow the things of God. Let's not follow the world's ways let's follow god's ways how different will your relationships be as a result how different will it be tomorrow when you go to work how different will it be when the things that you would normally have conflict in your home become something that actually unifies you together because you're thinking something bigger and greater and you listen to truth you've listened to godly counsel and now we can live differently as a result